Okay, and we are live with our 32nd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter. And thanks to my co-host, Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. I spilled, I don't know if you can still see it. I spilled water on myself laughing right before this video started. So thanks for that, Seth Law. <laughs> hey, sure, anytime, right? <laughs> at Seth Law on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I bring. Yeah, that's what I bring to the table is is yeah, a little bit of joking. So helping that, me. Look, I don't know. Right. Pig <laughs> right before. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's that's what we want. It's the, it's the professional attitude, right? Um, welcome to another episode. Uh, we've got Eric on today. Uh, in addition, uh, I got more. I actually got more pins in Ken on my side, uh, so I've got a little bit more swag to give away. Uh, Next week, I'm going to be at both St. Con and Cactus Con. I'll see you down at Cactus Con, but I'll be at St. Con as well. I'm doing a hands-on web hacking course with Justin Larson, who's been on the show with us before. Uh, more just like playing with AppSec tools and teaching people how to do that in a very you know, low-key format. Anyway, but come up to me if you, if you happen to be at either of those locations. Find me or Ken. We've got stickers. We've got pins. I've even got magnets, right? I got a a bunch of magnets for some reason as well. So love to pass them out for some reason, for some unexplained for some reason. reason. Yeah. That's what happens when, you know, sticker mule sends me a, Hey, do you want to try out this for, you know, five to seven bucks? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'd like to see our, our logo on there. So, so I got random stuff. That's how it rolls. Awesome. Well, um, one thing that I wanted to mention before I forget is that, uh, Asta, who was on the podcast a few episodes back, she, I'll put the link to the tweet in, but she is um, working alongside AppSec USA to get uh, sponsors so that, um, uh, so sorry, working alongside the AppSec USA in tandem with OWASP Bay Area chapter to get some tickets sponsored for uh, females and application security to be able to attend. So, um, they'll I'll post the link to that. So they're looking more for, I think there's 42, roughly 42 uh, folks looking to be uh, sponsored. And so they need some, uh, you know, donations. So if you're uh, apt to do that um, again, I'll put the, the link in here in a sec. Uh, anything else set that you can think of? We are going to introduce our guest tonight. We are joined by Eric Johnson, but before we get into that, I, we're just making sure we get announcements out of the way. Uh, no, I, I I don't think there's anything else, right? I mean, we are definitely getting down to the wire on AppSec USA and AppSec Day, right? A um, couple weeks out, we'll be giving the how to code review, uh, Seth and Ken's excellent adventure in code review. Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, meet us there and come learn. I mean, it's from our experience, the stuff that we do on a daily basis. And so we're trying to give back a little bit and, teach other people what we do. Um, but I th think that's it, Ken. I don't think there's really anything else outside of, uh, you know, the conferences, the speaking. So let's, let's dive into AppSec Minute. Oh, yeah. So before we actually introduce our guest, thank you, Eric. Um, we we're just going to do something real briefly that's educated. This week we decided, hey, like, we'll just walk through, you know, a typical, um, like, burp suite setup uh, for getting started with testing a site. So I'm going to make this pretty brief. This is not super advanced. Uh, if you've done a bunch of testing, you've got your own way of doing it. 
you already know this stuff. Uh, this may this is for folks who may not be as uh, familiar. So uh, hopefully it's of some help. Just point out real quick uh, some some. I'm gonna figure out if I can share the screen here. Uh, Suite professional, cool, cool. Should be able to see Burp Suite professional. Seth looks good. Yep. All right. yep so, okay, perfect. So, I mean, for me, like this is the most basic type of setting. Um, typically, I'll go into scope and put in, you know, like my scope, right? So, absolute appsec.com is my target. So, this is the site I want to test against. Cool. Um, so, this says, do you want a Burp proxy to stop sending out of scope items to history or other Burp tools? Um, that's fine for most people if they want to do that. I choose not to do that. And the reason is very simple. Sometimes sites include like marketing widgets or they include some sort of like chat feature or something. Um, whatever the case is, it might make a request off. And in the refer header, when it sends off a request to this third-party site, the refer might leak something sensitive, right? So if you're like on a page that has like the, something in the URL sensitive, and that request, that request goes off to this third party and that's in the refer, obviously that's like, you know, that's not, that's not great. You wanna report that, but you won't see it if you say yes here. So I'm gonna say, no, I don't want it to hide that stuff. The other options here for the proxy interception. So you go to proxy options, you can change this. I run this on port 9001. Reason is a lot of things run on port 8080 uh, on my machine. So there you go. Uh, if you've never done it before, you're going to want to export your CA certificate. So all you do is export this CA certificate. I'm not going to walk through that, but you export the CA certificate. You import it into your browser as a certificate authority. Uh, give it trust to for, for web requests. And uh, it essentially allows it to man in the middle, allows you to man in the middle of your HTTPS request without any sort of like, you know, warning from, we'll say, Firefox or whatever that, this certificate of the site you're requesting doesn't match up and yada, yada. But uh, we're not gonna do that. Um, so we've modified our uh, our uh, proxy to run on port 9001. The other thing I'll do is just um, uncheck file extension. What I like to do is I like to intercept client requests uh, when they are in target scope. So that's primarily like what I like to do. But um, the thing that Burp doesn't do automatically either is uh, check server responses. And Seth, I don't know what your methodology is, but like I like to see the server responses as well. So I always check this option and say, and is in target scope as well. Um, and then I'll make a request off to the site. Uh, quick, just need to make sure this is actually, doing this live is super fun because I'm sure I'm gonna screw something up and it's gonna be super awkward. So that's my absolute AppSec request. Cool, everything's going on. One other thing I wanted to just point out here, um, since I've got it in the uh, the sitemap, absolute AppSec. Um, when you're on this target page and you like are using a site, um, one thing that's really nice uh, in the professional version is if you go down to engagement tools, you can do uh, like analyze target. And once I've really interacted with the site and I've used the site, um, pretty completely, meaning I've used all the function avail uh, available and I've done a, like a thorough crawl. Uh, I'll usually analyze the target. Um, and you know, here there's nothing to fill in because I haven't really reviewed anything on the site. I haven't sent in any parameters. Um, but if I did something like, uh, and I, hopefully this works, you know, maybe 
maybe something like user ID might be a parameter I could be um, interested in. So um, you'll see when I go to analyze the target, it'll show me every parameter that's been sent to the application. In this case, I can look for things like user ID or admin or whatever might be interesting, uh, password, token, whatever the case may be. So um, that's one of my favorite features. And uh, that's about all I'll share for today on Burp, just to keep it quick and brief. Cool. Thanks, Ken. Uh, one thing I did want to note is some of that's changed. If you're looking at the new version of Burp Suite that's in beta right now, 2.0.0. Um, and next week, uh, I'll give a little bit of an overview of that, uh, kind of how I've been using it in the last couple of weeks because there's a lot of features that have changed a little bit in there and the crawler that gives us some new functionality that's like I'm pretty excited about it uh, just because it does it has improved my workflow a little bit but it does take a little bit of a change right so Ken doesn't like to jump on those beta bandwagons too much he's he's an old Luddite when it comes to burp but uh, but we'll dig into it a little bit there's some API features and the new scanning engine is pretty is pretty nice as well so that's that's Burp Suite for this week. That's our AppSec Minute. Uh, as always, if you've got questions, pop into Slack. Uh, the link to our Slack, to an invitation to Slack on Absolute AppSec is on our website. Uh, or even just hit either Ken or I up on Twitter, send us an email. We're on all the social medias and would love to interact with you. So so from there, I'll let Ken introduce Eric and we'll, we'll, we'll dig into to more security yeah. things right thank you eric for your patience yeah we've added this new section we try to keep it real brief maybe do something a little slightly educational in the beginning and then introduce our guests so uh thank you eric for your patience uh so eric johnson is a sans instructor um so sorry what you've done sans instruction instructions now you're a curriculum manager for sans specifically for application security so that's primarily what um what uh when I say that training in application security is primarily uh, Eric's background. He's done a lot of it. Um, and I first met Eric, uh, I think like in person back at AppSec USA. And I think it was like 2016. So a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe late earlier. It's been a couple of years at least um, since we met. Uh, he's also the co-founder and senior security engineer at Puma. Um, security and we're going to talk about what that is and the tooling and uh get more an expanded uh set of opinions on static analysis and whatnot from eric um eric is spoken at black hat uh done black hat arsenal spoken at absec usa um he's going to be in uh he's got a like a pretty good itinerary here like melbourne singapore again we're gonna get into all of that um but yeah, like Eric is a uh, really great trainer. Um, really, really knows what he's doing. Um, great person to have second gen. And uh, we're thrilled to have him on. And uh, thank you, Eric, for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you guys. Awesome. I, I dig in the background that you've got like a little Puma scan, something or other sitting up, but we can see in your... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's my so, shrine. It's Your shrine. All my, all my badges hanging up there. My uh, my DEFCON badge has not exploded yet, so I'm pretty thrilled that it's still in one piece. Just leave the batteries in there for long enough, and, then, <laughs> and, and any of those badges will explode eventually, right? You know, depends on the soldering job, but yeah. I so I saw um, 
a talk. It was in Virginia Beach. G. Mark Hardy, who's a, a longtime DEF CON guy that he does the Hacker Jeopardy event on, was it like Friday night or whatever? And he's wearing his DEF CON badge, giving an hour talk on blockchain and blockchain security. And in the middle of the talk, his DEF CON badge that he's wearing just as a gimmick starts exploding battery acid all over him in the middle of the presentation. And it was an impressive job that he did for 10 minutes trying to get all of the battery acid off of his hands and still present and go through the slides all at the same time. It was the most amazing like, stage thing I've ever seen, I think. That's some dedication there, right? It was, I like, I'm out, we're taking a 10 minute recess here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's gonna be like, uh, all right, Eric, you're in the audience. You get up here and talk about this for five minutes exactly. while I go, I run to the bathroom and yeah. This is where the people in the front row are gonna really help me out here. So you guys play slide roulette for a little bit and I'll be back. Yeah. I had never heard about that incident. That's interesting. He did say he put one of the batteries in backwards right before he, you know, went up on to the to the front of the room to present. So he he takes full responsibility for it. But it was uh, it was quite impressive live. I was in the back just pretty much giggling the entire time. <laughs> You're just laughing at his misery with acid and <laughs> burning with acid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, some folks were offering him water and things, and I'm just taking pictures, putting it on Twitter at the same time. That's a real friend. That's a yeah, it's true. Yeah, we can't miss the moment, right? Nope, not at all. Cool. <laughs> so, Eric, I was trying to remember that, you know, when we first met, I think it was AppSec USA. It was a few years ago when I was in DC, I think. We did like dinner with Chris Gates, and I can't remember who else was there. Me. It was me. Was it, was it you, yeah. Ken? That's where okay. we first yeah. That's where we all met. That's yeah, right. that was uh, that was the conference, and yeah, Ken, you nailed it. That was 2016, if I remember right. And yeah, I, the conference was done, and I think I had kind of like a midnight red eye out of there or something. And yeah, we kind of hung out, grabbed some dinner, and talked uh, AppSec for a bit. It was yeah, awesome. it was nice. It was nice, man. It was real nice. It was nice to meet you, and that's where I was like, I think I like this Eric guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I didn't irritate you all too much. You were good hosts. So I was oh, just no. gonna like hang out in the hotel lobby and wait for my flight anyway. No, and that's the you know that's the best thing is like when you go to a conference and you just you just get to meet people that you've never, I mean obviously you've never met before that you've never talked to and uh, like yeah that was a that was a real awesome opportunity because we just all happened to be in the same area we're like just grab lunch yeah, or uh, dinner rather sorry yeah and we I think it was like a Cuban place or something like that. Something it was that was good. I would go back there. I don't remember where it was, but I would go back again. Yeah, it was pretty tasty. Someplace in DC. And then uh, and then the next time I saw you was actually in Singapore at Black Hat Asia, right? You were doing the Arsenal with PumaScan. Um, and I was speaking it. And so we hung out in Singapore for a week, right? You know, saw all the yeah. sites because I don't think there was anybody else there that we knew. So <laughs> worked out yeah. okay. By far, my favorite place that we went to was kind of that food truck area. It might have been even before the conference started that had all the little food stalls and that outdoor area there. That was that was awesome. Yeah, that, the hawker centers, right? If you ever get to Singapore, that's the place to go eat. Right? That's where it's authentic and fresh. So 
just, you know, <laughs> Singapore pro tip, I guess, right? We're doing travel <laughs> yeah. tips now too. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there you go. We've got a whole new topic segment for maybe the end of the show. Which <laughs> yeah. I'm going back to Singapore in a few weeks, so I will definitely hit that up again. Sweet. Yeah. Um, oh. But other than that, right, like, I, I mean, I, I know we're going to dig into it here. Um, the, you know, just kind of your origin story and things like that. And then we'll we'll get into Puma Scan. But if you don't mind, right, like, obviously, we you know, we've known you for the last couple of years, but it would be nice to hear how you got into security and kind of what your path was to, you know, the development that you do and the position that you currently hold. So go ahead. Sure. Yeah, we've only got an hour, right? So I need to keep yeah. this somewhat succinct. Yeah, yeah, keep it short, right? You know? <laughs> 55 minutes is usually good, and then Ken and I can say a couple things, right? Okay, cool. All right, I can do that. Um, <laughs> probably not uh, abnormal for a lot of us. It's I, I kind of enjoyed messing around with computers and breaking them at a somewhat early age. I, I still remember my parents totally just getting very mad at me, and this was back in, I don't I want to say like, the windows probably whatever for 95 days ish where I deleted a bunch of files off their machine, messing around with it and just totally broke it. And my uncle who was a computer software guy had to come over and kind of fix that for us to get the thing up and running. And yet I'm looking over his shoulder learning, you know, how I broke windows, which isn't hard, but now also seeing how to fix it at the same time. Uh, that kind of gets into high school, a little bit. I, I took some programming classes. I think the first language I wrote, it was probably a sophomore in high school, is I took a basic programming class, kind of just seeing how code works and learned enough that I picked up a, uh, a DBA job out of high school, which is a different DBA job than kind of our database administrators now. But I was working in a, a credit center for Sears kind of doing a bankruptcy, almost like recon on people in a way. So they're in bankruptcy and you're trying to figure out like where they went to and how they got off the grid and looking them up and all these different like court systems across the country. And of course in high school, it's like, well, let's work things all right, but I'd rather, you know, get paid and do less work at the same time. So I kind of used a script. Somebody had written a, a VB6 script a macro that plugged into this mainframe system. And I'm kind of just digging through the code, poking around at it. And I look at it for a while and, you know, I'm like, man, I could probably automate 60 or 70% of this stuff just by writing some, some macro scripts here. And so I plug those in, get them up and running. And suddenly it's like, man, this thing's working awesome. And that was kind of my first real, I guess, world contribution to corporate America, I suppose, and kind of snowballs from there. Uh, end up at Iowa State, which is just north of where I am here in Des Moines by about 45 minutes. Get into computer engineering and start doing some hardware stuff, doing some software courses. Uh, towards the tail end of it, I'm slowly realizing that software and programming is kind of my jam. It's where I'm the most comfortable also uh, take a couple of information security classes to kind of close out my senior year where it's kind of basic CIA model stuff. You know, we'll talk about confidentiality, you know, integrity, availability, but nothing real AppSec focused. You know, I'm not seeing the tie in between, okay, here's coding and here's security and here's where they overlap whatsoever at this point, which is probably pretty normal for that 
2000 to 2004 time frame where you know we don't really have the top 10 yet or anything of that nature so definitely really interested in security but also when i get out of school and i'm like yeah i've got zero experience and i would like an infosec job in that moment you know there're not many companies looking for someone with no experience and letting you just go work on the security team uh, so grab a software development job with wells fargo and now I'm on a team. Uh, this position uh, was writing in the .NET framework. So that was, I think, Seth, you and I talked about this at some point where I think you said Java was kind of just the language that you were thrown into right out of the gate. And similarly, I was thrown into the .NET ecosystem back in the version 1.0 days. And we're writing code, throwing it on the internet. And I always kind of say this to the you know, the students or people in the, the room that I'm talking to. And it's like, I'm sure there were no, you know, bugs or vulnerabilities in any of this code that we're throwing out there at that point, right? It was perfect. Mine was. I, I don't know, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys at Wells Fargo because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mine was not. I do remember we had a decent kind of scanning life cycle, you know, nothing crazy, which we evolved to eventually. But I remember, you know, in 2004, so what the top 10 version one has probably just come out, right? And we're running uh, FX Cop against our code base. And I remember seeing all of these html encoding rules you know saying hey you need to html encode this and html encode that and i'm looking at it like what is this why what do i need to do this for you know and i'm talking to some of our senior engineers and asking them the question they're like oh i don't know don't worry about that we don't need to worry about that and looking back on it what are we now 14 years later it's crazy to me that you know we just knew that little about you know at the time cross-site scripting and what the damages were and how you could take machines over using it and so I'm slowly getting introduced to AppSec just through some of these things when a couple of guys from Minneapolis who are on the more code review team for Wells Fargo Enterprise come down and kind of give us a, a full day secure coding attack and defense style session, you know, to our entire dev team down in Des Moines, which, you know, probably two to 300 people in the room watching this. And at that point, I'm like, I'm hooked. This is awesome. How do I get a job on this team? So I talked to the guys. It ends up being a couple of really good dudes, uh, Mitch Moon and Joe Teff, who are uh, long-term. You know, Joe has since retired. He uh, he finally, you know, he lives actually here in Des Moines and is probably sailing around on a boat right now, just kind of with his grandkids. I think he, when he retired, you know, he told me he was pretty much just throwing every piece of electronic equipment that he owned in the garbage. He was just done with computers. He's, I'm out, but truly a couple brilliant guys and talked to them. Uh, we moved to Vegas. So I don't know if I ever told you guys this. So I, I, my wife gets, gets done with Iowa State. We uh, moved to Vegas. She's working. She works for Caesars Entertainment or did for 10 years kind of in their convention space. And so I'm out there looking for IT positions. So the hotel industry from an IT perspective is interesting. I'll say that. So I worked for MGM Mirage for a few weeks before I get a call back from Wells Fargo saying, hey, uh, we've got one of these security engineer positions open. What do you think about it? So I jump on board, spend about 
let's see, seven or eight years on that team doing full out uh, static analysis assessments. Uh, we're using kind of Fortify in that time frame, uh, doing lots of customization, lots of static scanning on all languages across the board, doing manual focused code reviews, playing the game, right? Writing up the risk assessment reports, doing the whole deal. Uh, seeing all sorts of great examples of why application security is super important at that point and uh, being more terrified every day. Every new system is kind of like this whole new can of worms that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this exists in the world. I'm sure you've probably both had that moment where you're terrified of technology at the same time that you're just intrigued by it almost. Yeah, all the time. No, no. Yeah, every day, every day. Every yeah. day. So that's kind of at least my intro into the industry. Um, the team at Wells actually had some uh, pretty talented set of folks on it for that time frame. I think uh, Jeremy Long was on that team and still is. I was going to ask you if you if you worked with him at all since he's you know he's been at Wells Fargo for a long long time. Yep. So uh, my first day, you know, I'm, I fly up to Minneapolis, which coming from Vegas, you know, I kind of forgot how cold, you know, winter actually was. <laughs> and it's the first week of November and I step off the plane in Minneapolis and it is negative six degrees outside. And, you know, I'm like wearing a light fall coat you know, thinking, oh, that'll, <laughs> this will be fake. <laughs> yeah. What could go wrong here? And, um, uh, so I walk over to the hotel and Jeremy is one of the first people I meet. And, you know, he is just right up front like, oh, so you're the .NET guy, right? We brought you on board to secure this .NET stuff. And he's just drilling me with like all these questions. And uh, yeah, so that conversation starts pretty much the minute that I'm on board there. And Jeremy, a uh, pretty good friend of mine and definitely one of my biggest kind of uh, mentors, I guess, in our industry as uh, as I went forward. John Melton was on that team too, which oh, wow. you guys are uh, chatting with him here at some point. I think I saw on the schedule, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe next week, actually. I have to look. Oh, wait. Um, it's a couple weeks no, out. Right no. now. Because you got SyncCon next week. So, yeah, yeah. It's October 2nd. Yeah. 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 So, John and I crossed paths over there a bit. But, yeah, you think about it. I mean, it was probably a 20 to 25 full-time employee team with some contractors coming off and on. And it's a pretty crazy fine-tuned operation from a, at least code review perspective. Uh, at least when I left in 2014, it was, it was in pretty good shape from an automation and kind of, uh, you know, the early version of DevSecOps, as we call it, trying to get that stuff wired into all of the various pipelines and things of that nature. Yeah, no, I imagine when <laughs> finance, when in terms of like, you know, like a, fi a, a finance company, security is fairly important. Right. Um, yeah. That team sounds amazing, though. The three of you and others working together, that's, that's a really good team. It's a solid team. So when you say DevSecOps, like what kind of early are we talking about using like, like continuous integration servers and security tests baked into that or, you know, anything? Or I don't know if you can talk about it, but I'm just curious. That piece, so I, I know it's evolved. You should actually probably try to get Jeremy on here at some point. I did try. That jerk said no. No, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I did I did ask him. I think he might have turned me down and my feelings are hurt, but whatever. Oh. We're moving past it. We're not talking about wow. it. 
Yeah. Well, now I'll have something to give him grief about a little bit. Yeah. No, I don't remember what happened. I, he probably was just like, I couldn't do it this week or whatever. So. Yeah. Well, I know. Uh, yeah. We had our our version of I would say more of an AppSec pipeline because it's just in a sheer volume uh, of applications and project teams scattered around the world. It's really difficult to go into every single team and say, hey, look, you're going to run these eight steps that I've got set up for you. So we had kind of automated the out of band kind of scanning where code comes in. We can scan it. We can auto disposition and or suppress a lot of the, uh, we'll say, uh, noise that comes out of some of the commercial static analysis tools and try to weed it down to things that we actually care about and then get those results fed back over to them, which that was kind of what we focused on from a process perspective overall. Wait, wait, slow down. So, so commercial tools have Noise, quote noise, <laughs> quote, uh, quote noise. Yeah, I, no, no, no. Like I, I know when we initially, like in one of the episodes of the past episodes, I, I think I went off on a rant on the number of false positives that you get out of some of the commercial tools. It was probably when we were talking to uh, Justin about. Uh, oh yeah, Breakman, yeah, another right? yeah, another great person to chat sassed with. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know that's like that's still my big my my biggest complaint when I dig into any of the the SaaS tools, the the big commercial ones is the amount of of noise that I have to dig through for a single valid finding, right? And I yeah. get why it happens being a coder, right? You look at something like you know, uh, uh, cryptographic, uh, you know, weaknesses like insecure. Well, I mean, they always they always flag it as like insecure cryptographic use right and it's because you're you're using like int dot random or something like that right to generate a yeah. number and not all it is is so you can display a, a window or you know what i mean it just has a hard time with context yeah um but that, that, that's one of my favorite ones that shows up because it's very easy to be like oh well i know that these 20 are fine because it's not actually doing anything that has to do with security so we're just going to move on but that filtering through that noise is tough um so it, like, absolutely you know, I mean that that's where I went, I wanted to you know kind of segue into the Puma scan stuff that you were doing um and that you're working on right I, you know, like we we talk about Justin and Brakeman and Brakeman Pro like we've talked to both Justin and Neil actually in the past but those guys um that's very specific to Ruby uh that's you know Ruby on Rails that's actually does a static analysis of that builds like the AST out and you know tries to do the source to sync analysis uh, kind of in the traditional sense of what you see Fortify doing. Uh, so give us a little background on PumaScan, right? Like the five minute or the, you know, the two minute, hey, this is why PumaScan is great. It is, it is .NET focused, right? Uh, that's your, that's your bag, right? Or, or however yeah. you want to say it, right? That's your jam, right? Should we go back to that? <laughs> Absolutely. So, yes. You sound yes, old. I know. I, I need to stop, right? I, I got a bunch of crap on Twitter about being like the old guy, or I think it was Kevin that was giving me about, you know, uh, being the, the, the InfoSec dad when I spoke at DEF CON this year because, you know, I would, I spoke with Whitney and Chris and they're both like in their 20s and these like little short, and I'm like old with my gray. So. <laughs> they're relentless, man. Yeah, even when they you are. do something nice, like give a talk like that, they're going to give you yeah. a right? Yeah, Kevin, you're on my list, right? That's Kevin's on my list. 
<laughs> they're to laugh at you when you spill battery acid on yourself. Yes. And they're to laugh at you when you're old and point there it out. There you go. They're, they're, they make you laugh and spill water on yourself before you go live on a podcast. There they also know. do that. They also <laughs> do that. Yeah, I think we're going to have to sneak into Ken's office and try to actually set something that drops water from the ceiling down or yeah. something unexpectedly. Yeah, nice like thing of Gatorade, like you know. Yeah, like, kind of. You know, at the end of the show, yeah. you've won. Here's the Gatorade shower. Yeah, I like it. I'm sure the builders of this house beat you to it, but uh, <laughs> fingers crossed. I mean, sorry, it's perfectly good. If any ever wants to buy it, don't worry about it. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. So Puma scan. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I'm trying to think it's kind of an interesting way that this came up. Um, in 2012, uh, which kind of leads me into the SANS side a little bit, I went to the SANS application security summit that was in Las Vegas. Uh, we were the local at the time. It was super easy for me just to zip down there and check out, you know, the lineup for the day and it was actually an awesome conference looking back on it. I mean, we had uh, Nick Galbraith there, who was uh, kind of director of engineering at Etsy, talking about, you know, their transformation and, you know, how they're deploying code 50 times a day. And, you know, I'm sitting there from corporate America application security saying, oh, my gosh, how could that even po be possible? Right. Um, Manico's there talking about cross-site scripting, uh, Josh Brown White. I remember his talk. I'm, I'm not sure where he was working at the time. I know he's over with Microsoft on their trustworthy computing team now. Um, and then, uh, Justin Searle and Frank Kim are both there, uh, kind of giving various talks on, I think Justin did one on, you know, running SQL map and, and dumping databases and Frank's giving one on, you know, some secure coding thing in Java. And in a discussion with Frank towards the end of the conference, who he's actually the the management and AppSec lead kind of at SANS and runs his own kind of CISO advisory firm. He's telling me about this .NET security class and that they need help kind of maintaining it and they need someone to teach it. And that was kind of the, the moment where I'm like, oh man, that teaching thing might be kind of fun. Uh, you know, I could check that out and look into it. And I start kind of rewriting uh, pieces of this class with some help from James Jardine, uh, who was also actually on that team at Wells. I think he worked with uh, Kevin Johnson over at Secure Ideas for a while and is kind of doing his own thing. So we start to rewrite this. And, and day four of the course is all about the SDLC. And we get to this slide, you know, at some point halfway through the day. And it's like, here's all the open source static analysis tools in the .NET ecosystem. And it's pretty bleak. I mean, we've got FX cop style cop, which both those aren't security tools. You know, we've got cat.net, which Microsoft kind of created in 09 and then just abandoned it because funding was kind of like, Hey, we don't have time to work on this. So that's really it. You know, we're talking, one tool that was built for security that released 1.0 and never came back. And it was always kind of that pain point where I'm like, man, there's got to be some better way to do this thing. And I'm having a conversation, you know, this is like years later in late 2015 with a client of mine. So I've left Wells at that point, kind of doing SANS training, doing just independent uh, security consulting at a company that I started with some other folks based out of Denver called Cypress Data Defense. And we're 
working with a .NET customer and I'm talking to one of their lead engineers and complaining because I'm trying to write custom, uh, basically FX cop rules, which is their code analyzer suite that's baked into Visual Studio to run security scans. I'm trying you to said, do all this. You said this with <laughs> quotes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I write a couple of them and I'm complaining because it's just, it, it's messy. And he, he asked me, have you heard of this new platform called Roslyn that they released? And I'm kind of looking around. No, think it is a person almost versus, you know, their compiler API is what it stands for. And I kind of look around in it and it's basically they open source an API to query anything that you want out of their, just all of the compiler data that uh, MS Build or Visual Studio has collected for you. And then also giving you an API to raise warnings or diagnostics and spell check style underlying squiggles on a particular line of code in the editor. So your big vendors, your resharpers, your, you know, kind of the, they're looking at style issues. You know, did I put curly braces on stuff, right? Or did I indent the right amount of spaces? And in my head where I immediately go is, wow, I bet we could find some pretty cool security vulnerabilities with this thing. And put together a small proof of concept, which this is how all talks start in the world of InfoSec, right? I got one rule written and then I wrote up an abstract and I submitted it to AppSec USA. You know, so this is probably what, March of 2016. And I'm like, know. yeah, that- You sound a little <laughs> farther along than most InfoSec talks that get oh, good. at that stage. <laughs> yeah, you, had, you, you had a you had an actual proof of concept before you yeah. submitted the talk. Okay, slow down. <laughs> yeah, that's like phase three later. So, like, I'm That's more like responsible. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. And honestly, it, it was an open source project. Uh, we open sourced it at that conference. And, and that was kind of where I, I wanted to land with it. It was really just to put the bullet on that slide in the class to say, here is the analyzer package that's free that you can pull down and find all of these things that we've talked about for three days leading up to this moment. You don't have to do it manually. We've got, you know, 50, 60 rules to cover you here. And that's that's kind of where the project originated from. So are you doing some kind of like for the uh, underlying tech? I mean, I know you had the API, the API that was already built in. You could do like certain things. But are you doing like uh, AST? Are you doing string pattern matching? Like how does the how's it how was it? I'm trying to say how, how are you detecting the uh, the issues? What was your kind of right. like? thought on that yeah yeah so so it's really cool they have gotten rid of your requirement to do anything from an ast perspective uh basically in their api you tap into this uh you know event handler which there are many you can choose whether you want to invoke your analyzer at the completion of a code block or in an entire document or at the compilation of an entire project you just choose which event you would like to tap into and one of the parameters is, well, what kind of uh, syntax node element are you looking for? So you can come in there. And so let's say you've got this, uh, uh, we'll call it like a, and you're creating an object. And one of the parameters, for example, like a command injection where I do a, you know, I'm going to create this process object and pass in this file name parameter. And what you can do is say, I would like to look for all object creation expressions, which is what that node is called, you know, in their syntax world. And then you can say, if the object creation expression belongs to this 
namespace or package Seth for your translation. And is this <laughs> blah, method? Blah, blah. <laughs> you know, it's I, I appreciate different. it. I appreciate it though. That 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 was helpful to me. So yeah. So you filter it down by namespace, class name, and object creation expression, and suddenly now you've got this array of every single time that this particular constructor is called throughout the entire code base. And then from there, it's just querying. You're like, okay, it's got a dot arguments property. And you just iterate through the arguments, say, where's my file name parameter? Okay, now where did the file name parameter come from? And that intelligent kind of sync to source analysis, we've worked on quite a bit as part of our more professional offering, which things very quickly, you know, it's like that escalated quickly. Probably no sooner than when I got home from AppSec USA, we had people, of course, asking for more and more features, which like, hey, we open sourced it. They're like, let's community build this together. And of course, it's like, yeah, no one wants to help. So we I had a couple no. of very... Yeah, I believe happened, right? you. Open source, not getting support. <laughs> oh, no, it's a big team. It's a big team of people helping out yeah, all over the world. We'll, we'll jump on this, right? Yeah. So... Yeah, so we we built in some kind of lint checks in the community as we're calling it the open source edition. And just for this past arsenal, put in some code block kind of sync to source analysis to look for, you know, did it come from a request parameter or is it some hard coded string that's baked into the app to try to make it a little bit smarter. But yeah, going back to your question, it it's super easy just to follow their framework. They've got all of that AST data baked into strongly typed classes and objects for you just to access parameter or properties and, and kind of just query through. Very cool. I, I know that's always the the big hang up, right? Especially on the, the open source side. Uh, I mean, you talked to Justin and that was the initial thing that he had to do was build his AST based on Ruby on Rails. Um, and that that's always been the sticking point too. When you when you play with Django or something else, is it's like, hey, I can easily recognize where the source is and where the sync is because I've got those. But actually, you know, building out the whole app in your you know AST syntax is is more difficult, right? Right. So, Absolutely. Well, the, yes. the the question I have about because I've never used it. I mean, is this because like okay, Justin's tool runs because it's Justin's tool runs like, I mean, you can run it as your like there was a guard extension so you could uh, have like a guard file where every time you saved essentially a certain type of file, like a .rb file, like a Ruby file, yeah. it would automatically run and scan the entire code base. But like uh, the, like this sounds more integrated into the, I've never used it. Uh, yep. So it was this, this sounds more integrated into like the, uh, the editor. And so are you doing, as they're writing code, are you, doing a full scan or are you like, I have no idea how it works. So to a layman like me, can you kind of walk me through if I'm, if I'm a developer and I'm using this, like, how does this work for me? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's just as you were kind of envisioning, it is completely baked and, and there's kind of two uh, prongs to this. So I'll, I'll kind of, we wrote this for the software engineers first. You know, I'm not looking to run a security scan and, and as Seth and I talked about, create the noise. I, that's not who I want the target audience of the results to be. So it fully, when you write code, uh, Visual Studio is actually invoking your analyzers asynchronously in the background as you're typing. 
And in some instances, the second that you put a semicolon on the end of that line, it's automatically getting the green squiggles behind it saying that was a security diagnostic that just got triggered. And it gives them kind of IntelliSense that pops up the black box and says, hey, that SQL injection, you just dropped in some piece of data into a, you know, a raw execute style function. It puts it into the build warnings and you can double click on it and get navigation into the exact line of code that the problem is. So it's, it's very much just tied into their ecosystem and we're just giving it extra stuff to do and passing the data back into their compiler API. And that was actually, that, that, that was one of the things that I found very impressive, right? And you've got to give Microsoft that or, you know, Ken, your company, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. You've got to give it. GitHub, <laughs> you've, got, you've got to give them that credit. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, you've absolutely. The, the, their developer tools, like, I, I mean, honestly, Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio, uh, like, it, it's very de developer friendly nowadays, and it's very approachable. So having it, having the, having PumaScan do that as I'm coding or as, you know, I'm interacting with the IDE feels much more integrated than, you know, some of the old Fortify ways of, oh, guess what, now I have to go right, you know, I have to go to the actual plugin and I have to run the scan there. Yes, it's another window, but it's something else that I have to check uh, rather than, hey, it's just embedded in and it just runs. So kudos yeah. on that. Right? So, kudos I mean, it, to it makes, the, uh, the Roslyn yeah. team at Microsoft, which uh, I know there, there's one girl, her name is Casey, that I, I met at one of the kind of dev conferences I was at that and she kind of stopped over as I was talking about PumaScan and she's like, hey, it's glad to see that you're taking all my hard work and putting it to good use because she had pretty much, you know, been a large part of building that compiler API from the ground up and uh, they've been awesome. Nice. Nice. Well, and speaking of Microsoft and GitHub, Jason White, who was on the uh, podcast a few episodes, well, I don't know, some episodes ago, he was on the podcast He's uh he joined me. He we now work together on the AppSec team at GitHub. So, welcome Jason White for that awesome. for the to the team. Yeah, so it was kind of a new new development, and I forgot to mention it. So, yeah, pretty cool. It's always nice when folks you you know this is how this industry works, right? Like we go on each other's we speak, you go on each other's podcasts, and you end up you know where it's all very co mingled. It's a, there's another way to say that, right? In yeah, that's the, right? I, yeah. That, well, I, I just said co-mingle. I had to think of something other than that term that like we usually use. So yeah, co-mingle like, there. Co there, there you go. We get together. Yeah, no, it's incestuous is the word that we would usually call it. So um, more appropriately uh, or inappropriately, depending on how you look at it. So, so how has growth been for PumaScan? I mean, are you seeing a lot of adoption? I, I mean, I know you've been doing Arsenal, right? At pretty much every Black Hat over the last couple of years. You've, done, you've spoken about it at AppSec USA. How do you feel like the adoption is going both on the uh, open source side and the commercial side? I think it's going pretty well. It's uh, it's interesting because we're still kind of faced with the same problem and, and what I with the extension, the one that's baked into Visual Studio, the audience, which are your traditional the software engineers that, you know, they'll pay lots of money for ReSharper to have that go in there and refactor all of their code and make their code easier to read and make it run faster. And it's very much, you know, beneficial to their 
day in and day out job. What we're seeing, and, and you guys, I sure are going to be surprised by this, is that the software engineers, in a sense, a lot of them view the security plugin as overhead that gets in the way of, of them achieving their mission. And so that's been, you know, kind of interesting, right? You make it as easy as just putting an extension on there and just kind of, you know, the suppression part's really simple. You just right click the warning and say, suppress this and it goes away. And it, the, the adoption still is being driven through the CTOs, the application security managers, you know, the, the teams that are being mandated to run code scans and, and some of that stuff that we've seen for a long time. So no surprises there, right? No, not, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that that's always it, it the, the fight between kind of software engineering and application security as far as what they will implement and what they will actually do and whether or not they recognize it as a, fe as a feature as opposed to a, you know, more overhead that they have to do. And I, you know, part of me understands, right? You know, you put in, I drop an extension in there and all of a sudden I have to go and suppress 20 year, I mean, if it's Fortify, it's 10,000 warnings. Wait, I shouldn't call out a specific vendor, but hey, it's my voice. If it's Fortify, uh, <laughs> you know, 10,000 warnings, right? That's that's ridiculous, and I just don't have the time for that, right? That's a that's a week-long effort for me to to not get anything done. So it, it's very it, it, it's a tight line that you kind of have to walk. Um, well, I think but, part of that, too, is like Fortify, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while since I worked with Fortify. I've been working in the Rails land for a long time and other stuff. So I don't need that fortify. So, but so, anyways. so, so Eric, you just have to ignore Ken because he works at like this AppSec Wonderland right? where every, <laughs> yeah. everybody does what he wants. He has all the funding in the world. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. Ken, you were saying? Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, is, this, is this shit on Ken Day? Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Apparently no, uh, it is. So. <laughs> yeah. No, so, um, yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, it doesn't matter. My opinion was, or my experience was rather, that Fortify was more like, I don't configure much. Like I just basically pointed at an app and it runs and that's like, it's kind of, you get what you get. Whereas like some other tools, ounce slash AppSec, sort, app, god damn it. What is it? Uh, applicate, I don't know, whatever. App scan source. App scan source, there you go. Thank you. It was more like configurable, but that then helped reduce the noise a bit. Certainly, like the other option was to just upload to uh, like I used uh, I used Veracode once, where we like uploaded whatever zip or jar, whatever file I can't remember yeah. what kind of file it was, and then like that was supposed to eliminate false positives, and like it did not eliminate false positives at all. It was a PHP app actually, and I got a lot of the libraries. There were findings for the libraries. Maybe they were somewhat legit. I I don't you know, but they but the actual like vulnerabilities in the application no it missed everything it only created a bunch of noise and it was like super expensive not to crap on any of these it's just like you kind of have to think about i don't know like i just don't it's it, i will say that like for for definitely like the things that i've used breakman i know we i always tout breakman but breakman was like the the best thing because it did and it sounds like puma scans on that same track of eliminating that's the thing is eliminating a lot of that noise and just putting out stuff that's like just putting out even if it's not everything right like i don't expect it to find the really kind of like stuff that us humans are going to find but just even if it's like simple stuff there's you know alerting on that that's 
but not like oh god I'm, i can't even remember some of the noise that that comes out of those things but you know like you'll see like i don't know um what's a good example seth like anything with crypto they'll be like oh you're using sha one and it's like it's irrelevant but you get like a thousand sha one results or hits on crypt like incorrect cryptographic whatever you know yeah yeah it's the randomness one that we were talking about the yeah. you know the hashing um i mean there's a whole bunch of those that like fall into kind of the java you know best practices that may or may not actually have a security vulnerability associated associated with them now like like to be fair right ken what you're saying that fortify has made it easy to like to throw a, a java app at it and it'll actually give you some results but they'll tell you they'll be the first ones to tell you that there's going to be a lot of noise there Right. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Because before, seen, like, you don't, because yeah. you don't need to build the app, right? Like, you don't have to have all the dependencies to to run Fortify on it, right? Or my no, you don't have like, to. You just, yeah, you can just give it whatever, and it'll scan and and do what it can. Um, I mean, the more dependencies you give it, the more complete it is. But yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what I meant. And it sounds like, I mean, I like the idea of it being baked into the editor uh eric i really i really like that idea like for like so is there a way to if you wanted to if you're a developer and you're like okay i keep seeing this pop up but it's not relevant is there a way to create kind of like a known false positive rule or something along those lines or is it just like you can just ignore it yeah so depending on versioning um, you know, what we've kind of, for the open source edition, kind of just said is it's, there's a one line of code to comment out the registration of the analyzer. And it's as simple as rebuilding, um, could probably very quickly be configurable to the point where you could just drop in, here's a list of rules that I don't care about. And it would just not execute those. Um, that, that would be very simple to bake into it. Um, also the other cool part is that their ecosystem also has it wired into MS build. So if you have the analyzers register during your command line CLI calls, now you're suddenly able to drop these into your automated build pipelines and kind of do the verification step of, you know, did we actually fix the things that we saw in the editor or did the engineer just potentially maybe ignore them and not do anything with the results along the way at the same time. So it kind of lends itself to editors and automation in, in terms of rerunning the scan and generating that data at build time as well. Cool. Nice. That was always that, that was always one of my favorite things about Fortify was getting a an FPR or whatever they called their files, right? From a developer yeah. and then show hidden or show suppressed. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they give you like this clean file with no findings in it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I, this is an old ASP right like style app that we've had at the bank <laughs> for 20 years. I pretty sure that oh yep there they are right there you go we had folks send us their fprs and you know it, which is just a zip file and yeah. if you pull that audit xml file out of there that's where all the findings are and we had folks actually just wipe out all of the findings from the xml file and pop them back into the fpr so it's like look the scan ran clean and due to that issue they now there's a, at least the last time i looked i haven't used fortify in several years but when you open it in their audit workbench tool there's now this kind of like certified check where they actually run a hash check on the audit xml file that they thought they should have and tell you if it's corrupted or <laughs> manually tampered with whichever one yeah. 
No, I mean, you know, it's about pushing things through compliance, right? You know, yes, it is. Not about actually securing it. Um, cool. We did get a question from somebody, and I put it out on our Slack, Absolute AppSec Slack chat, but it was basically like, so what do people think of check marks? So I put that question out, and I'll uh, try to get back to the answer of that on various people's opinions by the end of the show. But Eric, one of the things I wanted to ask you is because it sounds like now you're doing more like, uh, are you still training or are you doing training and the program curriculum for AppSec at SANS or um, is that? Yeah, my sure? uh, the, the word day job for me is an extremely loaded term these days. It's kind of a uh, actually I, at one point earlier this year, so leading up to May, uh, was doing training for SANS. I, I try to cap it at once a month. So basically I'll teach one class a month, which means I'm on the road for a week a month. And then I spend a, a odd number of hours, let's just say in a normal week, maybe probably 10 hours dealing with uh, like courseware updates or looking at maybe sections of classes, trying to maybe update labs and, and do some of the other things that come along with just, you know, it might be webcasts. Uh, I'll do maybe a couple webcasts a year for SANS and, and some of those things. So that's really all that is. I also had a, still was working uh, at my consulting company, Cypress, doing, you know, pen tests or source code reviews or SDLC kind of architecture analysis, uh, consulting engagements on top of that. And then this whole, you know, Puma thing kind of snowballed on me a little bit. So I was trying to keep up with all of this at the same time. And I know you guys are probably been in this boat before too, where it's like, something's got to give here, you know, you have to sleep at some point in your life. And so I kind of took a step back from the consulting world to keep doing the training part, uh, at least uh, probably once a, a month. I've, I've stuck to that pretty good this year to try to minimize travel. And then the other two and a half ish weeks a month that I've got open, I've been kind of diving full time into the, Puma Professional Edition, trying to get that platform to where I want it to be. So that's kind of at least my a, a normal week for me. If, if normal is the right word for that, I'm not sure. But uh, I don't I don't know what normal is anymore either. Don't worry. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, it, it can vary some. It could be like what you said. You could be completely overloaded or it could be that you're just, you, you were overloaded and you're taking time off. But um, so... In terms of the curriculum, what are the like in terms of AppSec curriculum, you know, what what things typically have changed, let's say, in the last couple of years, the last few years? Um, is it more refinement or are there new like we've we've talked about a couple more popular popular in the sense they've been more prevalent, at least publicly, uh, like server side request forgery. We've talked a little bit about that. Um, are there any bones that you're, you guys are like, oh, this is something we have to teach more about or like are the shifts just more of like fine tuning, you know, existing courses um, to maybe take out some content, put some content in? The, those like, are two changing? Um, of the major ones. Yeah. Keeping up with the vulnerabilities is is probably, I would say, the easiest part just from a category perspective. You know, a lot of them are flavors of some of the older ones and it's maybe adding a couple things here there to say oh here's this new twist to this thing that you know we can do to you know maybe request a file off the file system that we shouldn't have had access to or whatever um 
platforms, I would say, are, are just crazy right now. I mean, you've got a new JavaScript framework that seems to be picked up, I don't know, every six months, right? Where you've got some new crazy flavor of, of the week that somebody wants to throw down. And, you know, it's just like when you're doing AppSec assessments, really, you know, every review, you're learning something new and having to look at some new platform to keep up with what's going on there. And from the training side, it's kind of, well, is this useful to the general community? You know, would people actually want to learn about what you just discovered by doing the consulting piece? So from my kind of training perspective, I've always kind of let my consulting engagements in a sense and questions I get from, you know, various folks talking to them drive, like what would the world actually want to learn about on some of these things? What are some factors that make like a successful course and what, you know, go the other way? Like what are, yeah. what are some of those things that, uh, you know, make it endearing and people want to keep coming back and word of mouth for SANS and whatnot? Yeah, no, it's interesting when you look at, you know, the the reach that, that SANS has from a, like a customer perspective, they're very broadly InfoSec folks. And, you know, we're, I don't want to tell you guys you're weird or anything, but, you know, only about 3% of, from, of, you know, just me polling classes of the people that I run into at those conferences come from a development background. Almost... All of them are traditional operations folks or compliance or audit, and they've been thrust into this application security role, and they're like, you know, good luck. So what's... So three, 3%. So at the conferences that you're going to, and this is really interesting. So, I mean, is this just like SANS in general or even, you know, AppSec USA and others that you've been to? You know, at AppSec USA, I would say, you know, way higher. Right. I mean, that's just it's kind of our AppSec gathering. So this is kind of me just pulling the it would be the general SANS populations, whether it's at their summits or whether it's at their just large national events or wherever the the people that are interested in, you know, doing the development side of AppSec defense is is very, very small. It's hard to find people that actually have that background to do it. Hmm. No, I, I mean, that's definitely an opportunity and that's definitely, I think, a weakness in the in the industry then that we have is that like doing application how- security without without being a coder has got to be just a like, I, I don't know how you would approach it, right? Like, is this, co- I mean, I wonder if this is companies who are just like, uh, we, we've, we've got to have this, we have this security requirement. So we're just going to stand up some scanners and have our existing security folks run it. Is that, I mean, like you almost so have to like wonder SOC, if that's what, right. Right. Yeah. Type two, right. Like, cause it, there is an application security component there. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It, and by the Eric, way, we totally know Seth is weird. So don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it. Well, and I put myself in the category too. So, I mean, the biggest indicator for me is so we, created this DevSecOps class, uh, probably we, we started off as kind of a two day intro to DevSecOps and go through kind of the fundamentals. And the whole first day is, you know, here's the dev process, right? You start with a Git push and it triggers a CI pipeline and you run all these tasks. And the end of it is, you know, you're building a container and you're deploying it out to your fleet of, you know, you know, whether it's in Kubernetes or ECS or whatnot. And that day, just literally the first lab is just 
git clone, we're going to edit a file, we're going to git commit, git push, and run it up into Jenkins and watch Jenkins, you know, auto push this change out to this little Docker container. And it's just crazy how many of the folks that take that have not seen the dev process or seen the value in that automated pipeline or that you can make all these repeatable tasks. And it's, it's as you, I think you nailed it, it's a big problem in our industry. If you don't understand dev and you don't understand the process, how are you supposed to help defend it without totally getting in the way and slowing everyone down to the point where they just skirt around you to get their work done? Yeah, and I, I, like I, I don't know how to change that, right? I, I mean, I, I think that's part of what you know we're doing on a daily basis. Obviously, giving people the tools, but yeah, I don't know because we, we we talk about everyone's path into into security, and most of the guys that we have on, on the podcast to you know have some sort of a development background, right? right? Whether that's a CS degree, or you know, hey, they had to be a coder for a little while. Uh, they saw that as their path. There definitely, there definitely are those that have come out of the the operational side, but they always had the the tinkering mindset. Um, yeah, God, I mean that that's that's so difficult. I, like I, I almost feel like I need to you know step back and take actually start pulling people right. Um, you know, Ken, it's an maybe, interesting question. Yeah, it, we we should definitely ask at AppSec USA. I mean, I know we're going to get more of the the appsec side of things there. Maybe you never know. Right. I mean, yeah. you like maybe we. I mean, I I think we did put it out in the course. Like, here's some prereqs. You know, obviously, like you can't review. Yeah, it you don't know code. yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, you yeah. program. Be a little hard to do a code review, but uh, <laughs> or at least read. Well, let's just be honest. You need to be able to program to some level, but um, right. Yeah, but it will be interesting to see because you never know. You never know. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Like I, I think maybe so. Zapsec, but with with sorry, I, I'm like formulating this thought because like I think with Sans, you're doing a lot of like uh, I'd imagine using I don't know some some intercepting proxy of some kind, Zap or or whatever the case is, and doing a, probably a lot of dynamic testing versus uh, I'd imagine code review. If I'm wrong, feel free to say so. I'm sure. I'm wrong a lot, so no worries. You know, there's courses on just about everything. You know, they've got uh, two different web app pen testing classes that pretty much, you know, they're full five to six day onslaughts of, you know, using Burps free edition, using Zap, uh, running Nikto, running InMap, you know, to see what ports are open, you know, all the way down the line of just how do you attack a system from the red team side. So those definitely exist. In my kind of dev courses, you know, my goal is for every software engineer that walks out of there to understand the attack side. You know, why should we care about this? So, you know, most of the exercises I walk them through is here's step one. You're going to attack this site. You're going to find the flaw. You're going to, you know, maybe exploit it a little bit. We're obviously, you know, not going to get to the point of like popping a shell and, you know, completely owning the server. But I want you to see why you should care. And then we'll get into the code review side, find the bug, fix the bug, rerun the attack, and see the whole close. So that's kind of the progression that that I have taken the software engineers through on the, the lab side, at least. And it seems to go over pretty well. The DevSecOps course is way different because it's, you know, we're not really manually doing anything. It's all about just wiring 
scanning in from an automated perspective or, you know, dropping in some, you know, lint hooks or lint checks to, you know, find bugs and pre-commit and, and some of those things. We've, that one just spins full circle. We talk about containers, container security, monitoring the build charts and graphs with Grafana, actually looking for anomalies and looking for, you know, things and triggering alerts and, and a lot of that stuff. So that one's by far been the most rewarding class to teach because we get lots of compliance auditors and those sort of infosec folks that it kind of just opens their eyes up to the the world of application security and how it can be applied back into ops and even just security operations automation all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, and what's weird is because I think we've mentioned this several times, but like it is interesting how how application security is blending. And when you talk about DevSecOps or DevOpsSec or whatever the term is, or whatever, <laughs> when you're using like stuff to, when you're building code that writes infrastructure, we'll say that when you're building, when you're writing code that builds infrastructure, application security is part of it, right? But then it's not the only thing. You've got your network folks. You've got your compliance folks. You got so it's it's kind of like this weird. We all blend together, kind of. I don't know. Just to me, it's it's interesting. Like for where for where I work, right? Like there is there are distinct. um, Like this is what we cover. That's what you know ops covers, et cetera. So it's like pretty well defined. But like if you're if you're a one or two person shop probably that's i mean obviously that's not going to be the case so you know you're just blending this 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 skill set which is interesting because i wonder about like now i'm just spinning off because now i'm wondering about the the skill set of yeah i guess it doesn't matter if you're if you're on a small team it has nothing to do with your skill set it has to do with where you're at and what you if you have the company you're really so you know I don't know where I was going. Basically, it's just an interesting intersection of ops and the course sounds interesting for what it's worth. Um, and I wanted to a- answer the question about check marks because we had somebody who asked about check marks and people's opinion. Basic gist is um, from what I'm reading here, Seth, you need to correct me if I'm wrong here, but it looks like people said overall it's it's okay. As far as SAS goes, the UX could use some improvement, um, but it does a pretty decent job. Um, nobody really outright said they hated it, so that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I mean, the times that I've run it, uh, I've been satisfied with with the result. I have results. I haven't been blown away. I mean, I still run into the same kind of crypto issues that we've talked about previously. Right? Any time that you're dealing with a regex, that's going to happen. So you go into it with eyes wide open, and the support is pretty good. It's able to scan code pretty quickly, right? It's a lot more like Fortify where I just give it a zip file. It works out what's in there. If there's dependencies, it, you know, it may ask me for some, but regularly it'll just scan it and give you what it can. So. Okay. It's got a really good custom rules editor as well. It's mm-hmm. actually, you know, if you think about, I, I don't know if you've written custom Fortify rules before, which this is this crazy XML schema that you kind of have to like pick through the documentation and hope that you got it right. And then run a full scan and wait to see if the results actually came back the way you wanted them to. But theirs is, it's almost like a, a code editor in a way with the debug button. So you can write rules and hit go and then see the results either come back or not come back based on, you know, if your rules right or wrong, that's, that was probably my favorite feature 
uh, of checkmark specifically is their ability to customize and create custom rule sets. So you can create your own presets where you're like, I like these six rules, but I hate these other 10. Those are two really good features that they had over some of the other folks. Yeah. Yeah. And having done that in Fortify, you know, like along with you, Eric, that's a, that process is just so painful, right? To, to drop rules and actually decide what you wanted to, what you wanted to bump up or bump down. It's, it's not a, it's not an easy thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty good API too. Um, So it, it does, you can tell it was kind of designed when automation was a thing here versus the kind of more desktop installation perspective to be run on an analyst laptop too. Cool. Good. Um, well, let's see. We, we, like we said, Eric, we've been going for more than an hour. Um, wow. Yeah. It goes quite fast. We weren't kidding when we said that. No, but, but it's been super interesting, right? Um, Let's first go with like before we kind of wrap things up. Uh, recommendations for people that are getting into the industry, right? Um, whether that's developers or you know operations people, what would you recommend that they do and where <laughs> they turn to? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've you guys nailed it. AppSec USA is probably one of my favorite conferences to go to because you, you know if you AppSec's your thing, that's that's definitely the one to go to. I seem to miss it like every two out of every three years just because of travel conflicts and whatnot. Um, I, I would say that would definitely be up on my list. Um, you know, OWASP was a great organization to get into as well. Um, I I really enjoy it. I'm sure you guys have played with it. Kind of some of the uh, the the juice shop application kind of training that comes along his book that he wrote to go with that i mean that i i recommend that to tons of people just for for getting started here i actually didn't know that there was a book that went along with it it's kind of a, a github ebook i think and you can just click on that and read through the book and see the problem versus kind of the solution side and some of the cool stuff there yeah, it's it, it's pretty slick. I I've been looking at it recently um, with the like that hands-on web hacking stuff that I'm going to be doing because we were using Juice Shop as a backend for some of that. Oh, and cool! It's, it's very. You're right. It's laid out very well as far as hey, you could actually print it out and put it into a book and step through it. You know, vulnerability by vulnerability. It's a, it's a good walkthrough of the OWASP top ten and common vulnerabilities. So. Yeah, it's a good recommendation. Right? We should probably, we'll link that somewhere, Ken. Yeah, I'll find it. Yeah, you'll have your, your burp suite intro stuff now on every episode. I mean, that's that's great information for folks just getting started is just seeing those little five-minute tutorials, which I'm sure there's millions of them if you know the right place to go look for them. But yeah. just knowing that those are theirs, is that's a perfect place to get started. I'm posting cool. it in there now. Awesome. Good deal. Um, so anything else that you want, you wanted to bring up? Like where can people go to meet you over the next couple of months? Um, if they want to come up and say hi, where are you going to be? Sure. Um, well, let's see. I am not going to be in the U.S. much in October. I think uh, we said we're barely going to miss each other out in uh, Australia. So uh, the we've got the Australian Information Security Association. They've got their big cyber conference 2018, the 10th and 11th of October. So I'll be there. If anyone listening happens to be there, come find me. I've got a full day workshop I'm doing on just DevSecOps where we're just automating 
security scanning and we'll we'll play around a bit in AWS and and run some scans from there and kind of see how things all tie together. Um, I will also be in Singapore the week after that. And then back in the U.S., um, I'm not going to make it to this, but it's something that's actually a really good conference. Uh, SANS has a two-day DevSecOps summit in Denver. I think it's on the 22nd and 23rd of October. And I had a chance to go to it last year. And some great speakers from, you know, some of the kind of fun organizations. And I think this year we've got like Jason Chan from Netflix will be there talking about their automation and, you know, their PCI compliance. And we've got some folks from Slack that are going to talk about a lot of their security program. And then you'll have some enterprises there talking about how to maybe speed things up a little bit on the enterprise world. So uh, lots of fun stuff coming up. Um, where, where else will I be at this year? I'll be in London in November and then DC in December to close it out, I think is that's it for me on the circuit. Cool. Well, um, yeah, we appreciate your time, right? Coming on, letting us pick your brain on the Puma scan stuff and how you're, you know, building that out. It's super interesting to us, right? And I, I, I'm, I'm sure it will be helpful to others as well, right? Anybody that's doing .NET stuff. I know you've already kind of been in contact with Justin and some of the oh, other yeah. guys that I know. And um, yeah, yeah. hope it continues to go well, but we appreciate your time. Um, Ken, do you have any other uh, final thoughts before we wrap up tonight? No, just appreciate, uh, I know you're busy, Eric. I know you're very busy. So we appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your insights and uh, check out PumaScan, folks. Uh, so yeah, thanks again, Eric. Very welcome. Thanks, guys. All right. Um, all right, I think that's it. We'll say goodbye to everybody. Thank you for watching. Uh, we'll, we're not going to be on next week. Um Seth will be at St. Con, so if you want to see him at St. Con, he'll be there. And then uh, a couple days after that, I'll both Seth and I will be at Cactus Con. So if you're in the either at St. Con or Cactus Con, uh, say hi, stop by. Uh, so, all right, cool. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Bye.